This is a Broad Pods production. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. Hello and welcome to Broad Radio. It's my favourite day of the week, Tuesdays, because we're here for you. And I'm so happy to see you, Kirsty Weebeck. <laughs> Me too. Oh, <laughs> so lovely to have you in the studio side by side and both of us with no sleep. <laughs> buckle, <laughs> buckle in. <laughs> We've got no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> Nothing more frustrating than the nights when you can't sleep. It's the worst. There's been a few of them lately as well with the heat. Mm. Uh, I attribute last night's mostly to my puppy, though. Oh. Yeah. Joni, what's she doing? Yeah. Just rustling around. Mm. She rustles around. She's got a lot of nicknames. Uh, I call her Kurt Russell. (laughs) 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 Kerry Russell. (laughs) Russell Gilbert. (laughs) (laughs) Russell Brand. I'm like, what are you doing down there, Russell Brand? Well, she sleeps in a crate because she can't be trusted okay. to be roaming around the house causing trouble. <laughs> so she just like, she sighs and she flops around and she scratches and she digs and and she sneezes for attention. Oh my gosh. So we, we actually thought she had allergies for the longest time and then we found out that it's behavioural. And so she, she, she makes these sneezing sounds in the middle of the night and all she wants is for me to have a look at her. And then I'll peek over and then she'll happily go back to sleep. So She is what people say is full of personality. (laughs) Full of it. (laughs) That's exactly. Oh, there she is. Strangely between us. There's Joni. Oh, she's so cute. She is so cute. I've seen her stop, literally stop pedestrians with how cute she is. She's lucky she's cute because she's a menace. Yeah, I, I'm getting the sense of that. Um, <laughs> hey, congratulations to all the parents and carers and grandparents out there. You made it to the end of the school holidays. I'm very happy for you. I'm also very happy that the children are back because whilst I love my daughter, I really get so tired of hanging out with her <laughs> at times because they want to do fun things. Yeah, okay. And is that idea of fun different to your idea of fun? Oh, well, this is modern day fun, right? Anything that's, okay, I don't like heights. I don't like speed. I don't like water. I don't like rides. I don't like going underground. I don't like, <laughs> I don't like really much being outdoors. I mean, anything that is considered fun, I'm not into. It might have been so. quicker to tell us what you do like. <laughs> I like sitting inside in a quiet room reading a book, which strangely 13-year-olds don't want to do. So anyway, well done, Willow, for making through to the school holidays with your very boring mother. So, And anyone who had to deal with their children over the holidays, they're back. Yay. Um, it's a really fun show this morning. Uh, we're going to be speaking with Kelly McGowan, who is a career strategist. And I think at this time of year, often people sort of look ahead at their year and go, is this the job I want to have? Am I happy? If I'm not, what do I do about it? Yeah, absolutely. It's that like reflecting on the past year and and trying to figure out where you want to be in the future and and then going, well, how do I make that happen? And I think the older you get, the harder it is to kind of go, yeah, I'm going to transition into what? 
I don't know. Absolutely. So we're going to get a lot of advice from Kelly McGowan and we're going to take some calls as well. one three hundred eight broad is our phone number. So if you are listening live, you can call us. And also today we're going to be speaking with Annie Moulders, who is an ambassador for Ovarian Cancer Australia because Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month starts today. First up, though, Kirsty, I want to get your advice because you are prolific and hilarious on Twitter. Oh, thanks, mate. Right. I love it. <laughs> you just hit 25,000 followers on Twitter. I know this because I follow you and I saw that you announced that yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it. That's Yeah, that's wild to me, but good on you. Good Why on is you, it everyone. wild? I don't know. I just when I think about the kind of content that I put out content, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, I can't believe there's one person that's interested in reading this, <laughs> let alone 25,000. Well, it's deeply entertaining and I, I think it's because for you... You're just a little like a distraction in the day and it gives you a laugh wherever you might be. I mean, that's that's the best part of Twitter, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I peek in for. I'm like, oh, just I've got a few seconds in the car before I've got to go to that appointment. I'll see if anyone's saying anything good. Yeah, yeah. So I made the error of posting something that was I didn't know controversial <laughs> at the time, right, and created what I'm calling Kylie Gate. And I would love your advice on this because all I did, so my daughter was watching Kath and Kim, which she's loving. She's 13 and she's, well, 13 next month. My 13-year-old daughter just asked me who Kylie Minogue is. I am an epic failure, right? (sighs) Now, (laughs) obviously that's a joke. Yeah, 100%. Don't you think that's a joke? Totally. (laughs) it's, It's very obvious because like epic failure is very inflated language. Yeah. Right? And it's about Kylie Minogue and Kylie's great, Mm. but you're not – you don't think you're a terrible mother because your daughter (laughs) – like it's very obvious to me that you're not there going, I am the worst parent in the world. Well, you would think I had because I had first (laughs) – so the reaction was varied and immense, okay? Mm. So there was a huge amount of outpouring to me. Joe, don't beat yourself up. You're not that bad a parent. That bad. I liked that. You're, you're that not bad. that bad. <laughs> you're pretty bad, but you're not you're not an epic failure, just a failure. Yeah, exactly right. So that that really concerned me because I was like, oh my God, I don't understand comedy, because to me that's clearly a joke. But that, I mean that was kind that they were reaching out Very to kind, me. Yes, yes. But the earnestness I was just like, wow. So do you get sometimes a bit of that? Oh, almost exclusively earnest responses. Like I have so many people who follow me and, you know, my bio says I'm a comedian. Mm. Most of the content that I put out is absolutely ridiculous. Yes. Everyone's very aware of who I am on Twitter. Like, hang on, hang on. So you can't control the cool change? Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) (laughs) There's a big groundswell on Twitter at the moment claiming that I control the cool changes, which I have leaned into. So I've got everyone on Twitter uh, really just barracking for me, like mm. whenever it gets a little bit too hot. Mm, so, mm, mm. yeah, uh, well, I'm not going to say that I can't control the cool changes, okay. Joe. Okay, this isn't a gotcha moment. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do with this earnestness that people actually seem very concerned for your well-being? Well, in a perfect world, I try to ignore it. because it, It's really funny because, like, earnest replies wind me up more than uh, like trolls or really overtly mean replies. Like earnest ones, I just, it's almost like um, when you're on stage as a comedian and somebody in the audience goes, oh, Uh -uh. when you're like setting up a joke and you're like, no, I'm fine. I'm choosing to talk about this. And they go, oh, and they like ruin the mood. Yes. Like that's how I feel about earnest replies on Twitter. And so in a perfect world, especially when a tweet spirals out of control and I've got loads of earnest replies or mm. trolling comments, I mute it. Yes. I just mute it and don't look anymore. Mm. Like, don't read the comments. But then sometimes, like like I said, this is in a perfect world. Then other times I'm like having a bad day or just like, I, I'm like, right. Oh, you bite back. Sometimes I'm just like, it's a joke, everyone. Yeah. Come on, it's a joke. Like, stop reaching out to me. <laughs> You know, like, it's not a plea for help, you know. It's, like, honestly, it's, it, and it's it's always about the most ridiculous topic that doesn't mean anything. Mm. And I'm like, why are you – but I always find with pets as well on Twitter, mm. like, people always have 
to put their two cents in about a pet. So if I tweeted today and said, oh, I'm really tired because Joan kept me up all night, which I wouldn't because that's a terrible tweet. But if I did, <laughs> yeah. everyone would be like, oh, um, she might have anxiety. Maybe you could get a weighted blanket for her. Maybe she needs medicating. Like, and, and I'd be like, no, like she was a bit hot and she likes rustling around. Like, But when we got our puppy on the pet thread, when we got our puppy, because we have a cat and, and Fergie used to get a lot of airtime on Twitter, she still does. We went to the beach one day and Joan came because dogs come to the beach mm. and people came at me about how we discarded Fergie. <laughs> Because we had a puppy now and they wanted to know why, and they genuinely wanted to know why Fergie wasn't at the beach. <laughs> and I was like, she's like a 14-year-old cat, <laughs> like a long-haired cat. Cats don't go to the beach. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine how much she would hate being at the beach? Totally. And can you imagine if a punter saw me at the beach with Fergie and snapped a photo and then everyone was like, Kirsty Weebeck's abusing her cat. <laughs> Totally to the beach, racking this poor thing down the beach on a lead, going get in the water, yeah, pushing her in. <laughs> so okay, um, that's that's good advice. Well, I'm glad to know that I'm not alone in this. The other thing that I received, so there was a lot of earnestness. There were a lot of people then comparing their children's listening habits to mine because okay. Willow apparently doesn't know about Kylie Minogue, so therefore she knows nothing, right? So then people yes. say, "Well, my kid listens to Def Leppard. Can't believe she doesn't know anything about the Beatles." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." I didn't. I'm not going to list all the things she does listen to, but you know, she's across it. She's on to Nirvana and Elton John and whatever. I don't actually. I don't need to justify my children's listening to you. So that was weird. Yes. There was a lot of that, and then people went Kylie, like unleashing on Kylie. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I call that pressure. good parenting because why would you want her listening to that? You know, whenever singing Budgie, and I was like, oh, now come on. And then they start going each other. Yeah. Then there is an absolute free for all between the Kylie fans and the non Kylie fans. Yeah, tw- Twitter's Twitter's a funny one. I feel like I feel like it's just um, like the setting off of a conversation for a lot of people. Mm. So they they'll take it off on a tangent and they'll add in their two cents. Or you know, if you write a joke, they'll they'll make it better for you, mm. or like whatever it is. But um, Somebody wrote a tweet a while ago and it said, um, I'm really sorry that my 40-word joke tweet didn't encompass all facets of everybody's human experience. (laughs) And it really resonated with me because there's a lot of that. And like what you're saying, people are going, oh, well, why why doesn't she know anything about the Beatles? And it's like, I didn't say anything about that. No. The tweet's not about her knowledge of the Beatles. Mm. It's about Kylie. Mm. I, but now you're, you know, you're extracting all of these assumptions from one tiny topic. Yes. And that's the thing that always blows my mind. It's like, well, here's a list of things you should expose her to. I didn't say I haven't exposed her to those. Yeah. I mean, she has great listening habits. Never eats vegetables. Doesn't matter because she's right across the Beatles. So <laughs> Her pop culture is yeah. bang on. Yeah. And I, so just to wrap up, though, also the other thing is I want to tell you a little secret mm. is that I have this fantasy when broad radio becomes a full radio station mm-hmm. with music, right, on yeah. that day when we launched that, I want the first song to be Kylie Minogue, Can't Get You Out of My Head. Absolutely. Right, because That's I think great. it needs to be a female artist who's Australian, mm-hmm. right, absolute legend, and also secretly I want us never to get out of the heads of the people listening. So it's a little subliminal message. And what a <laughs> rocking song, right? Yeah, that's foolproof. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Can't, can't fail with that one. Yeah. So just stand by for that when we launch that. Because I don't understand why people would want more from Kylie. Like she's exactly as she should be. She's uplifting, very beautiful to look at, fun, sexy. She's like a cocktail, right? Yeah, she's and, great. And when people say, oh, I want more from Kylie, it's like looking at a cocktail, a pina colada, and saying, why aren't you as nutritious as a zucchini? Like, it's so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's very odd, yeah. I, I love Kylie. I think I, I think she's flawless, so I think that's a good plan. Mm, yeah. yeah, stand by for that one. <laughs> I can't wait. All right, I think it's time to get to our first guest. Uh, we're going to be talking with – oh, well, why don't we just welcome her? Well, I'll just introduce her. It is that time of year when people are thinking about their careers and whether it's fulfilling enough for them to actually go to that job day in and day out for some advice if you are hoping to strategize out of or into something new and interesting we welcome career strategist kelly mcgowan hi kelly hi it's lovely to have you on the show um my first question is perhaps a bit more um existential but is it a fantasy to imagine you would love your job 
Because surely work is work, right? Uh, it's a very good question. And there's no um, reason that you have to love your job. And obviously for centuries, job jobs were jobs. It was work. Um, but I think in more recent decades, people have sought more from their work. Um, we spend a third of our lives at work. So it makes sense that you're seeking some sort of meaning or purpose um, beyond just your paycheck, I think. And I do think it's reasonable, given the amount of time we spend at work, to actually want that to, to look and feel more rewarding uh, than perhaps, you know, past generations might have accepted. So if we feel stuck then and we're not happy in our job, uh, is it as simple as finding another one? Probably not. Um, there's, there's a lot more to it. There's people, I think, and, and I saw your poll on LinkedIn, which was great, Joe. that yeah, there is a lot of people that do love their work. Uh, there's also obviously a lot of people that aren't uh, particularly engaged in, in their uh, work. And that's, you know, I think statistics probably say at any given time about half the people are disengaged and dissatisfied with their work. Um, the key, though, like you said, is probably a couple of things stop people changing that and one is they actually don't know what will make them happy uh, and they haven't spent the time uh, I guess seeking career help or doing some uh, self-reflection or you know finding career resources and books to start the ball rolling or finding mentors and support. Um, the other part of it is um, that people just it's you know the fear of changing uh, and people just sort of stay in their comfort zone really even if they're not happy. It's like a bad relationship, you know, that, or it's just an okay relationship so people tolerate it rather than, um, you know, figuring their way out. So, Kelly, if I came to you and said I'm having a terrible time, I'm sick of my career, I don't know what to do, where would we start? Yeah, great question, uh, Kirsty. Um, so part of it is understanding, in particular, I guess, during the last two years of the pandemic, what, you know, saying sick of your career, is it you're sick of your actual career, your profession, or, or you're not where you are and what's happening right now isn't working. Um, in the past two years, I think most people have actually, you know, I love that word languishing. Most people have been just languishing at work. They're missing out on a lot of what humans need, which is those uh, personal connections, the relationships at work, the challenges, uh, the socialization, all those uh, elements form a significant part of our enjoyment at work for a lot of people. So part of it is actually kind of separating what's going on right now for you in your work and life, looking at the pros and cons, what's not working, what is working and, and writing it, it down is a good place to start as well. Uh, because often when things, you know, we're not enjoying work, we just think it's all bad. We just sort of bundle everything into it's all bad. But when you talk to people, there'll actually be uh, a lot of areas that are really working for them. So you might say, Kirsty, actually, well, yeah, when I think about it, I actually really do love uh my job but what I've found is uh, I'm not being acknowledged and rewarded for the kind of work I'm doing there's been a lot of change in the the team I'm working with and perhaps the values of the organization have changed that aren't working for me so ultimately you actually might like your job or your career it's just there's some things that might need to change around that Oh, actually, and someone on Twitter said to me, and I, I, I'm sorry, LinkedIn, I love this. It, is it more, do I dislike it enough to leave versus do I like it enough to stay? Yeah, and it's a good point. Mm. And is it a relationship worth investing in? Because remember, a lot of our jobs, and when you look at why people leave, a lot of it is around, uh, you know, not being valued by their manager, the values of the organisation not being aligned, their colleagues not having the chance to learn and grow, which again is often dictated by the relationships you have within the organisation. So it is. Is it a relationship that you uh, it's worth investing in? Or is it actually when I do my sort of due diligence on what's working and what's not working, there's too many things wrong here that I can't fix, so I do actually need to look elsewhere. Or there's things that aren't working here, but some of those I can shift myself. Uh, it might be my mindset. It might be my attitude. It might be actually, yeah, I probably should put myself out there and do some further training or do you know what I mean? Like, so it's sort of understanding what can you control and what is out of your control. Mm. I like the idea of listing it as well because the, an example that popped into my mind was a friend of mine who recently left their job behind uh, basically on the grounds that they didn't feel like they had any autonomy over their work and they've moved into another role and now 
they realise in hindsight <laughs> that they had autonomy or right in that previous yeah. <laughs> and And so as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, maybe if they'd actually, you know, put pen to paper and, and said what autonomy looks like to them and why they're having those yes. feelings, maybe they would have realised that, that that wasn't quite the issue that they thought that it was. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that goes into, like, I love a pros and cons list, black and white, it doesn't lie. Whereas we have all these conversations in our head and we can make whatever we want sound good, can't we? Like, the organisation's bad, I've got to get out of here. Um, and, you know, we can justify that thinking. But when you have it on black and white and potentially even talk to someone else about it, it starts to take a different shape. And autonomy is, an eval- is a value, of course. And like you said, um, what does autonomy look like to you? How much autonomy do you need? So sometimes people have too much autonomy. I was actually coaching a client who said the opposite of she's got too much freedom and her boss never looks at her work or cares what she's done. She'd love a bit of like, what are you working on? Oh, that looks good. Um, So it's really important to look at your core values and what do they look like and and how do you know if they're being compromised or if it's not working? So while people might have very uh, one-worded values without exploring how that value looks and is played out, um, it's easy to end up in the wrong place again. Um, So you don't want to repeat patterns. So we're going to talk about uh, when we actually do transition out of an organisation in just a moment. But let's assume we've decided to stay, but actually we want to either move up the tree or we have to negotiate a contract or renegotiate that contract. What advice have you got for people who are choosing to stay within an organisation but want to make the most of it? Great question. I think that's a a terrific scenario for a lot of people these um, days because, again, if you talk to most people, they've been overworked for the past two years because it hasn't been a normal working environment. Um, And, again, when you do sort of pros and cons and that kind of thing, you might find actually there are a lot of things that are working but some of them aren't and that could be around flexibility, pay. And a lot of people, you know, we, we haven't had great pay increases in Australia for a long time. So people might be looking to renegotiate their salary, to actually talk to their manager and put in place a formal career management or development plan to to get them where they need to go, et cetera. So part of it is, um, I always say when it comes to negotiation, which is why even the best business negotiators are terrible negotiators for themselves personally, because it's personal. Um, And it's a bit of a different skill set, and you have to sort of put the emotion to the side And again, do your due diligence, look at uh, the role that you've got, the value that you're offering, be able to articulate that, to quantify and qualify it, not rather than people will be like, oh, I've been here a long time and I work really hard. Um, They're getting paid more than me. So, um, you know, I think it's time I had my pay increased rather than look, I'm really dedicated to this company. I love what the company's about and, you know, the the growth plans and I can add value here. And here, you've seen over the past, you know, two years, I've done X, Y, and Z. Let's sit down and and, and look at my contract and and look at how we can make it work for for both of us. So often with uh, contract negotiation and salary negotiation, it's treating it like a business negotiation and taking the personal aspects out of it and being very succinct. Mm, That's hard because... Well, what's hard about it is because... We cannot separate our own sense of value from the place that you work and the job that you do because you bring so much of yourself to a workplace, don't you? Yeah, and it's true. And it's also perception. So often too, um, I love the tool, the Jahari window, um, Mm. and it's sort of how we view ourselves versus how you probably come across it, but other people's experience of ourselves and, and what we're doing. So it's really important, I think, when you're negotiating as well, is to get an external party who knows you to, and that you trust to actually validate or challenge you on some of these areas because often too we all think oh we're working really hard I should be paid more and in some instances that's correct okay and in others it's like yeah you might be but maybe not as much as you think maybe there's some more things that you could be doing that would actually demonstrate that value and justify that hmm. um so and it's it's got to be fair and I think that's what most employees want too if if you are being I guess, taken advantage of. It's very important to obviously address that. Um, But also I think it's being mindful that you also gather your facts and information and not just base it on your own perspective of yourself, but that you do seek seek external perspectives as well. Um, And they also might be able to add other great points that you hadn't thought about too. Um, 
So that's not just to say uh, that we're not looking for negative feedback here. We're, we're looking just as much for positives and to help you support your case for whatever you want to negotiate in your contract. Kelly, we've got some calls and I want to get to Leone who uh, has a question for you. Now, I just want to alert people to the fact that I'm using technology live <laughs> right now. And if I was to ask my friends to list my skills, as you suggest, they would not put technology on that list. Okay, so <laughs> fingers crossed this is going to work. I'm doing this and I'm saying, hello, is that Leone? Is that Leone? This is Donna. Oh, Donna. Donna. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it says Donna right there on the screen. <laughs> You're doing your best, mate. You're doing your best. <laughs> All right. So, Donna, um, you're, you, we're talking about people who might be unhappy in their workplaces and you've, you've got a suggestion in and around maybe going out on your own and doing your own thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Look, I've been listening in and um, so there's some awesome advice and everything Kelly's saying resonates with things that I've been through in the workplace before, especially around leaving managers and not so much um, the actual um, company itself, just you not being seen or heard. But what I want to ask is now, when I look at what Joe has done with this incredible radio station, she's just gone out and gone, you know what, we need broad radio, we're going to build that and she's done it. Um, what advice do you have for women who really want to venture out, start their own business, write a book, um, you know, and that they know that they've got something inside them that they really want to do, but there's that fear of society tells you you're not good enough, you're not going to make it. Even friends and well-meaning family and friends will, will tell us that. Like for myself, I was at you know, one stage a, a 16-year-old pregnant young Aboriginal girl living in the outback and everybody thought, well, you know, that's her done. She's not going to amount to anything. But, you know, I wasn't going to have that. And, um, you know, that's just the stuff that I'm made of. I'll, I'll just go and do whatever I, whatever I want. Uh, but what advice do you have? Um, but as Joe said, you know, we can't separate our own sense uh, of, of value what advice do you have for people who really want to do something on their own and just have that fear holding them back? Great story that you shared too, Donna. Well done. Um, mm. I think you've got that sort of fortitude and that fearlessness to just go out and go after it. Um, not everyone, like you said, fear does hold people back and no doubt there was an element of fear in everything that you've approached. Uh, part of it is just acknowledging that there's fear in, in all of us and if you really want it, just to, to back yourself and give it a go. Plus, I know you mentioned, Donna, there are people that, you know, friends and family that might not understand and be supportive, but there will be groups and people who will be supportive. So it's also seeking out and surrounding yourselves with people, your people who will support you in your endeavour, even if they don't understand what you're about and what you're trying to do, um, that they've got your back. So I think it is really important to have that support network to pick you up when things do go um, wrong but ultimately look you get one life um, and it's really important to decide what what do you want your life to mean what do you want to stand for and if there's those things that are really important to you to do it uh, I always also suggest um, some people like to go big and go hard that's fine most of us are probably a little bit more cautious start with something small so you mentioned on like a book well you might start with um, writing some blog posts and submitting them to online sites um, so uh, and as you do that, you build up your confidence to, to sort of go after bigger and bigger uh, projects. Um, so it's understanding your risk profile, understanding your fears or blockers and having in place some strategies and a support network to sort of move you forward when you hit those um, hurdles. And, and like yourself, Donna, I'm, I'm privileged to work um, with people who have and will continue to do amazing things. Um, so it's... There's so many people out there doing so many wonderful things and for all the sort of naysayers, there's also so many wonderful people who will support you along the journey and I've found that over my career in embarking on various ventures as well. I've always been blown away by the kindness and support of people. Well, Donna, I must say I've been blown away by your kindness and support of Broad Radio, but also uh, you are the founder of the National Homeless Collective and what you have created is extraordinary. So I'm so pleased that you found the courage to do what you have done. Thank you. Thank you so much. It did take a lot of courage, but it's one of those things when I look back, I'm so glad that I had that courage and I try and encourage other people, just, you know, give it a go, try it. 
it's not a tattoo. It's not permanent. If it doesn't work out, you can always change direction. You don't have to keep going the way you thought you had to keep going. I mean, Kirsty, you you left a career and launched yourself into stand-up comedy. Um, that must have taken overcoming a great deal of uh, inner, inner thoughts that were saying, what are you doing? Don't do it. Like, Oh, absolutely. I mean, in the lead up and then, you know, around the day that 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 first paycheck was missing from my stable, cushy nine to five job. Like there were so many hurdles along the way where I was like, oh, wow, mm. maybe I've made a terrible mistake. Um, but yeah, just overcoming, uh, yeah, those fears and, and having faith that that you'll make a go of it. Uh, th- that's what got me through anyway, those first few years. And, and uh, you know, now I'm, I'm very settled in my career, but... It was touch and go for a long time at the beginning. Very hard work. Yeah. It is a lot about faith. That's a really hard thing to just switch on, but it is a lot about faith, isn't it? It is. And having, like um, Donna shared, which people forget, um, there's always, you can always go back to what you were doing or if you Mm. do something, do it on the side while you're currently working. So there's lots of ways that you can manage that risk and fear. Um, And, you know, also a great sort of rule of thumb is, will I regret not doing this? more than I will giving it a go. Um, so is it, you know, what, is it going to be one of life's regrets if, if you don't? And when there's no good time, and I'm sure, um, you know, once you've hit a certain age, most of us can acknowledge that life happens and there's no good time for anything. It's, you just have to, if there's that sort of drive there and desire, just sort of jump in and run with it. And you you raised a good point about how you can go back as well, Kelly, because I didn't go back, but I realised that I may have removed my safety net a little bit too early. And so yeah. I, I went halfway back and got a casual job. And so I had a casual job for like two and a half years that meant that I had enough money for rent and bills and then anything I was getting through comedy was, you know, on top of that. And then, and then I removed that safety net when I knew that I was – right on the path mm. to being able to be full-time. Mm. And I think a lot of that mm. is knowing that no, whatever happens, there is a str- there is something you can do. Yes. There is something yes. that will get you out of that tough spot. Hey, Donna, thank you so much for your call. It's been awesome to have you on the show as a caller. Thanks, guys. It's been amazing. You Thanks, have a great Donna. day. Let's get Thanks, to Donna. Leone. Uh, she's been waiting patiently there. Good, Good morning, Leone. It's great to have you on Broad Radio. Thank you. You've got a question for Kelly. Yes, I have. My question is that I've left my job. I was in childcare. I've left my job. I know it's not for me anymore. I've completely lost patience with it. Um, my problem is is finding out something else to do. I'm looking for something a little bit different. Um, I don't know what that is. I get onto the job pages and I look on the job pages to see what jobs are around to try and get ideas. But I just can't find what I would like to do. Um, people say to me, why don't you do call centres? Why don't you go work at Woolies? I've also got arthritis in my feet, so I can't stand up and work at Woolies. And it's not something that I really want to do anyway. Um, and a call centre is just not me. I would get very impatient with the people that ring in. So my, <laughs> my question, I suppose, would be, how do you find that new career? Where do you look? What uh, what information have you got to find that new career where do you go i've just had a big loss with that okay thanks um leone great question and uh, uh, sort of hearing that you're sort of lost about what's next in your career and, and again that's a really yes. common thing that happens to people at different stages of their careers um and you're right it's it's a it's like a ball of string isn't it sort of where where to start and, and how to unravel it uh, i yeah. would say start with start with you um, what's who, who are you? What's you know? Yeah, there's lots of free resources you can access um, on various career sites. Um, even looking at the Ikigai, the like life purpose. Um, you know, lot, like what is my why? What are my core values? What are my core skills? Even if you start with your key skills, it helps you when you're say searching on a job site. You can plug in your key skills and see what jobs come back that include those skills um, okay. that you enjoy using. Um, looking at your values, and we spoke about that too, um, being clear about what are your core values, and that also helps you sort of eliminate or include different kind of jobs and industries based on that. Um, mm-hmm. As you've probably also seen with um, 
the pandemic. There's been um, lots of business recovery coaching for businesses from the Victorian government. They've also got Jobs Vic, which is providing complementary career coaching um, services for people as well. So that might also right. be, you know, in addition to looking at books and downloading articles and activities, um, it might be also a place that you might want to consider, consider uh, talking to as well. But I spoke with you yesterday, actually, Leonie, and you also explained to me that you're 56 and mm-hmm. that you are having a real hard time even getting the interview because you feel like people can't see the potential in you. Which is That's that a, right. Is that a summation of what your experience has been? It is, it is. My, my, I'm a little bit different than most people. I was working as a bookkeeper in our own family business. We sold the business off after many, many years and I changed careers then and went into childcare. Um, I've been in it for about nine years now and I've just decided it's not for me anymore. I'm losing patience with the workers, um, the children. I have arthritis in my feet, so I can't be on my feet all day. So I just, when the pan, the last lockdown in Melbourne hit, I decided it was time just to have a break from everything. So I resigned from my job. And I've been applying for jobs, but because I've got childcare and bookkeeping, basically, um, it's hard to find that that person that will take you for an interview for something that is not those mm. two things. Mm. And I'm sure. happy to go back into the bookkeeping or the admin side that's a little bit different. But my only reference, because it was a family business when I was doing bookkeeping, is my husband. So, of course, they're not going to ring my husband up and ask him how mm. good I am. So that's also hard. But it's, yeah. you don't get – you reply for jobs, but you don't hear back. And I understand that the yep. businesses are getting so many people applying for um, different positions, but you don't even get a thanks but no thanks email or phone call these days. So I'm finding that hard too because you apply for a job and you think, I really want that job. And you just don't hear anything. And then but, when you ring up, they say, oh, no, sorry, we already put somebody on. You know, you don't get that first initial contact with them to say, hey, here I am and this is what I can do. All they do is read your resume. And so, your resume is meant to be, you know, the you, they look at that first and decide from there. But yeah. they don't actually meet you, so they don't know what you're like. But so, Kelly, this is sort of alluding to, I think, the ageism that's out there. Because people can't actually appreciate what's what uh, they're reading on the page. Well, that's uh, right. Yes no. I, I, purpose, yeah. Yeah. I purposely so, don't put my age on my resume mm. for that reason. So there's a couple of things there. Thanks for sharing your um, story, Leonie. And it sounds mm. like you've sort of started your career as a bookkeeper and then spent you know a long time as a, a childcare worker and, and now you're looking at what's next. Um, yeah. A couple of things you're right. In terms of job seeking, uh, often... Perhaps it might, there's two things here. Being clear about the kind of work that you're after next. You mentioned you're not sure what you want to be doing. So part of it, again, coming back to you, is spending some time getting that clarity about what you want to focus on. So, for example, if it really is sort of an administrative bookkeeping type role that you're looking for, make that your focus, rework the CV to make that the focus, and also combine networking with people you know and branching out your networks Um, because obviously a lot of bookkeeping work also comes through networks and referrals and contacts, as well as you Mm -hmm. might consider, like you said, using recruitment agencies, but don't just rely on job ads and recruitment agencies because, say, for particularly bookkeeping work, a lot of that is through sort of networks and referrals. Um, Mm. The other thing is there is a degree of ageism, but I always say we're all discriminated against for all various reasons at different stages of our careers. We're too old, we're too young, we don't have enough experience, we've got kids, we might have kids, we've got elderly parents, we live too far away. There's always going to be things that will work against us when we're applying for a job. And there's things that you can and can't control. Um, But there are knowing that, again, it's finding those people who know you and the quality of your work who are happy to sort of endorse or recommend you. Um, yeah, it might be yeah. also sitting on a doing, sitting on a board or a not-for-profit being a bookkeeper um, as a part of a community function, uh, and that might also help you build your networks and lead to paid work as mm. well. So sometimes thinking a bit outside the box, how do I, if, if that's what you're really interested in, how do I get back into that world? Mm. Thank you so much, Leonie, for your call because I do really hear uh, how frustrated you are and I hope that's helped a little bit today for you. Yes, it has. It's given me a few things to look at. So I'll, um, I'll get on to the 
Jobs Victoria board and have a look on there. But yeah, time to sit down and have a bit of a think about exactly what it is I want mm. and then trying to get into some sort of networking and maybe even on LinkedIn or something like that mm. to get some help as well. Thanks, Leone. You take care. Best All the best with Thank you. Yes, Thank and we you. have time. We're going to one last final very, very quick call because oh. she's been waiting and uh, she's got some great advice for women who may be wanting to uh, head out on their own and do their own thing. Good we morning, Bronwyn. Very, very quick call. Oh, that's me talking back to you, Bronwyn. Hi there. Hi. You yourself have gone out on your own and you've got some lovely advice for women who might be thinking of doing this. Look, I do, and I'm loving this conversation. I think it's just so timely and just resonates with so many women. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm what, what you might call a late-stage founder, which uh, means I started a business in my 40s and uh, I had not run a business on my own before, founded a business. And it's also a tech business. And like you, Joe, I had never been in tech, so... I was really, um, yeah, right out of my comfort zone. But, um, and like many women, I, you know, I, I had a corporate career, then I had the children and I did a bit of part-time work, um, but I had a desire to run my own business. And uh, so started doing that, um, yeah, late stage, as I said. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I've never looked back. I think it's, uh, it, it, was, it was incredibly scary, um, but, uh, but the most rewarding thing I've done. And what would you say are some very, very simple tips for people who might be considering it? Look, I, I would say very quickly and simply, the biggest problem I think with a lot of women my age is um, lack of confidence. And I think we spoke about that earlier. I think Kelly mm. might have mentioned it and Donna. It's just we don't believe in ourselves enough. We don't believe we can do it. Uh, and also that it's never the right time to do something like this. It's, um, you know, you've got kids and you've got families and uh, you just you just need to get in there and do it. I had a, a, a business partner, which I think is a really great opportunity to get someone else involved and, and have a founding board and also you can share the load. Um, so that was amazing. And, uh, and, and finally, I think, you know, get out to your networks. Uh, you'd be surprised how much... Uh, conversation happens at the at the school gates with with women that know people that can help you and and, mm. and can help you themselves. So I think we need to tap into those uh, other amazing females around us and and males. And uh, and there's incubator programs. There's there's lots of lots of advice out there that you can get if you go looking for it. And I think you just need to seek it out and and talk to people about what you're doing. Yes, thank you so much, Bronwyn. I totally agree. It's hard to kind of, I've found that this is, and I'm going to say goodbye to you, Bronwyn, because we're running out of time. Um, thank you for your call. Thank you. I, I have found the hardest thing is that you're forced to have conversations all the time. Like you can't just sit at home and go, I'm going to make this thing happen. You have to go out and constantly speak to people, whether it is people on the school gate or whether it's someone on LinkedIn. Kelly, it's so important that you just reach out to networks everywhere you go. I think so. And going back to, I guess, hearing sort of Donna and Bronwyn, if you believe in yourself and what you're looking to achieve, your purpose. So, you know, it's not about you. It's about the value that you're creating for others. And so you'll see that with people like, you know, yourself, Joe. you're passionate about what you, you do and what this radio station is about and what it's going to continue to grow to be. Um, so if there's that genuine passion and enthusiasm, uh, you know, you kind of can't help but want to share and help people. Uh, so I think often if you're reluctant to talk about it or get out there, maybe there's a couple of things going on. Maybe you truly don't believe in what you're doing or you might need some uh, support or coaching or a good mentor or you know a support group to you know to to nudge you out there to, to work on those um those sort of relationship building skills but i think if you genuinely people buy into that authenticity and passion don't they mm. yeah um and in, and if that's genuine you, the right people will find you well uh, but awesome. you have to kind of put yourself out there too it's know? true um yeah. Kelly, thank you so much for that great advice. Thank you to everyone who's been making comments on our social media as well. Katrina says she loves the Jahari window. Do Google that. I love Jahari window as a tool as well because it's a great way of understanding what your strengths are. And uh, Debbie says she's grateful to say that she loves her job. She spent eight years in retail previously and can relate to the idea of staying for comfort. I love what you said. Life's too short. Like you only get one life, Kelly. It's exactly right. Why, why be comfortable? 
<laughs> but I, that's what I kept telling yeah. myself before I took the plunge with stand-up as well. I was like, yeah. this is my one shot. Yeah. Like, mm. I don't want to have that regret, like you said, Kelly. Mm. So yeah. I, I think that's a really great anchor point for people. Yes. Thank you so much, Kelly, for all that great advice. And uh, if you Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yes, if you're thinking of taking the plunge, we just say do it. Do it. Get into <laughs> just it. Do it. Honestly, just do it. And, you know, nothing happens and nothing will change until you make that step, that first step to make the change, right? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Baby steps are fine. Baby mm. steps are fine. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Kelly. We'll see you again Thanks some so other much. time on Broad Radio. And Thanks, we'll have Kelly. more Broad Radio after. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, Things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. To this. Broad Radio. Talking inspo we love, info we need, and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday, 9am, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere, every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2am existential crisis, <laughs> we've got you covered. Broad Radio. Here for more. Hey, before we get to our next guest, I think we need to just acknowledge the amazing result in the Australian Open with our amazing Ash Barty. Wasn't that awesome? It was incredible. I didn't get to watch it. I had to follow along on Twitter because I was at work. Mm. But it's one of my deepest regrets is that I worked on that evening. Yeah, I got to see her in the semis and, you know, (laughs) she's so unassuming and not a particularly showy person, right, and not physically imposing so I'd never seen her play live before and when I'm sitting there in the semis I was like oh she's she's actually really good (laughs) like she's the number one in the world so of course she's good but I don't know her shots just come out of nowhere so congratulations to Ash Barty it was amazing but I also wanted to mention uh, Danielle Collins who she of course defeated Um, she her story is extraordinary that she's had decades of extremely painful periods and lots of health issues and repeatedly dismissed. And it wasn't there she is receiving treatment at another tournament, not the Australian Open. It wasn't until she collapsed from extreme back pain. She went to the doctor and mentioned that she also has really bad periods, sent off to a specialist. Two days later, emergency surgery and removed, um, I think, a tumour the size of a tennis ball from her ovary and had endometriosis diagnosed. So she said that since that surgery, she's a completely different player. Can you imagine being an elite sports person and managing that on an ongoing basis? Yeah, that's that's a lot. That's a yeah. I I mean, I I don't have endometriosis, but I know a lot of women who do, and it is absolutely debilitating. Mm. And to you you know to even be able to get to the gym or go for a walk on those days where where they're suffering um, that immense pain is is such a tall order. So to be pushing through and training and competing at an elite level is wild and I can only imagine what a new like lease on life she has as a tennis player yeah. to, to be on top of that a little bit more now. Extraordinary. and But you, also that story around women not being heard when they seek advice or go to see a doctor because they're experiencing whatever sort of, you know, pelvic pain or, you know, period issues or whatever is such a common 
experience, isn't it? Oh, it's so yeah. common and it's it's exhausting having to uh, constantly advocate for yourself and, and to try and, um, you know, get people to look into things more for you. So, uh, yeah, good on her for getting a diagnosis mm. and, and being able to move through. Anyway, it was so exciting. It was just awesome to see Beautiful Ash Party. And that moment, of course, with uh, Kathy Freeman and Yvonne Gulagong Corley as well, wasn't that gorgeous? Oh, what an, Perfect. an amazing Australian moment there. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful photo. Well, it is Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month. And in, next up, we're going to speak with an uh, amb- ovarian cancer ambassador to learn more about this very insidious disease. It's after this. Now, Kirsty, we just mentioned that it is Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month in February, starting today, of course. And a year ago, we were lucky enough to speak with an amazing woman who is an ambassador for Ovarian Cancer Australia and an, a survivor of ovarian cancer. Her name is Annie Mulders, and I absolutely adore her. So I really wanted to check in with her and see how she's doing a year later. Hi there, Annie. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. How I'm are really you well. doing? Are you well? Yeah, I am really well. Yeah, glad to be back waving the um, flag for women with ovarian cancer. Um, so, yeah, another February, which is awesome. How How's the last 12 months been for you? Look, it's been hectic for all of us, I think. Well, is hectic the right word? It's been sort of, you know, traumatic, you know, lockdown after lockdown and sort of the uncertainty. But I guess, um, you know, to come out the other side of it's great. Um, I've been working remotely like a lot of people. I miss the office, so I'm not sure about you guys, but I miss the camaraderie and the people around me. Absolutely. Annie, what does your role as ovarian cancer ambassador entail? Oh, look, you know, the reality about being an ovarian cancer ambassador means I just do whatever Ovarian Cancer Australia asks me to because there's so few women that have survived to support them in driving awareness, you know. The survival rate's only 48%, so, you know, 52% of women die within five years, a lot of them sooner than that. Um, So it is the most deadly cancer and, you know, I feel very blessed to be alive and very lucky to still be here. So whenever they ask me to speak or do anything, that's what I do for them. And is the messaging the same? I mean, it's sort of one of those months that comes around every year and you mm. think, how is it the same conversation? Is is anything mm. different? Has anything developed? Look, that's such a great point um, and question. There has been some minor development, um, nowhere near what we need. Um, But when I first started seven years ago, it was actually only 46% survival. So that 2% improvement is wonderful. We just need it to be more like a, you know, 50% improvement. But certainly small steps have been made in the right direction since I was first diagnosed. Um, there's been a 2% change. I believe there's been some evolution in um, treatment, but very little. So one of the biggest challenges for ovarian cancer is that the treatment options are the same as they would have been for my grandmother. So, you know, if my cancer comes back, they'll treat it, but it's unlikely to work. They'll sort of treat it with drugs that they kind of know won't work. So actually research to invest in treatment options is what I'm really passionate about because I know that's what's going to move the dial. So, you know, that that's one of the things that I guess is the biggest challenge is that things just don't change with this disease. It's very tricky to diagnose, but it's also the treatment options don't work. And Annie, you mentioned that it's tricky to diagnose. Mm. How do they currently do that? I mean, we, you know, we yeah. get mammograms for our breasts and, yes. uh, you know, pap tests as well. So how, how does it work for ovarian mm. cancer? Look, the reality about ovarian cancer is that you can't be diagnosed until it's in pathology. So basically, unlike breast cancer and other cancers that come with a tumour or a lump or some kind of indicators, ovarian cancer comes with pretty vague symptoms. So, you know, things like bloating, things like feeling full after eating a small amount of food, urinary symptoms, bowel symptoms, and, you know, just feeling unwell in the abdomen or having pain in the abdomen. So the tricky part of that is a lot of women feel those symptoms all the time. 
But the great thing that my doctor told me, which I try and say to everyone who asks me, I was like, how am I ever going to know if this is going to come back? You know, what am I going to do to be able to tell if this is, you know, if it's come back? And she said, cancer symptoms don't go away. So if those symptoms persist for a whole month, that's when you've got to get checked out. So symptoms women have every month come and go. They come for a few days. If the symptoms don't go away, you have to go and get checked. And what happens to check is they'll ultrasound you and do an internal ultrasound and then if they see anything suspicious, they'll go in and it will actually be diagnosed to your question once it's in pathology. Mm. So it's very, very difficult because ovarian cancer doesn't always come with a big tumour. So there's not always something huge to see. So one doctor also, a talk I went to, explained that ovarian cancer is like salt and pepper. It sort of drops through the abdomen very subtly and so it's very, very hard you know, take it's quite advanced before those symptoms come on. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, the thing about that, um, Annie, is, uh, and I've quoted you actually, interestingly, since I first started speaking with you about a year ago, um, is about, I'm really passionate about women being advocates for their own health. Um, yes. But because you, because of what you said to me about how you have to keep persisting if you feel like there yeah. are symptoms. But the problem is that, you know, and we've spoken about this, that you, you go back and you get dismissed. Mm. And on at the same time, if the symptoms are very difficult to pick up, you, you then do sort of feel like you just sort of should go away and suck it up because is this normal maybe for me? Yeah, absolutely not. If those symptoms stay, you ask for an ultrasound. And look, you know, to defend our amazing GPs in this country, some of them, ovarian cancer, 1,700 women are diagnosed a year, so it's quite rarely diagnosed. And so the problem with it, of course, is that it's extremely lethal. So it's actually one of the highest mortality rates rates of any cancer. But because there's only 1,700 women, some GPs have never seen a case in their life. So I think one of the most important things is to monitor and actually track those symptoms so that you can be very specific and explain exactly what's happening because it is easy to forget. And certainly if you feel like something's wrong, you need to say that and be upfront about that because your body talks. Mm. It whispers. Yeah. I like, I think keeping a diary is a good idea. Because, I don't know, we're busy and, you know, you kind of dismiss parts of you, whatever your body's telling you because you're like, oh, I haven't got time for that today. I've got a meeting and the kid's shitting me and whatever. <laughs> so I just think, you you know, you've got to keep a diary perhaps so you can show someone and say, look, this is happening on these days. That can't be normal. Well, that's right. And, you know, it's also about that intrinsic natural feeling when something's wrong. You can tell. You can tell something's wrong, you know, you feel unwell and that's when you have to explore that. And that persistence saved my life. I mean, I was one of, you know, the very few ovarian cancer types that comes with a tumour. So I actually had an 11 centimetre tumour and that was giving me symptoms. So I went back to the GP, I think five times before I actually insisted on an ultrasound. Wow. Mm. So I'm really glad that I did that, you know, at that time because... Looking back on reflection, if I hadn't, I mightn't still be here. So that persistence is really important. How long ago was that, Annie? Gosh, it's 2022. Yeah, coming up to eight years now. What does that time feel like for you eight years later? Look, it's flown. I mean, I, I'm grateful every day. Like I think every day, you know, a new piece of research has come out saying one of the greatest fears among women with ovarian cancer is fear of recurrence. So I never really stop thinking about that. That's very true. But then, you know, you go back to normal life, you know, you actually continue. I try really hard to do whatever I can to support Ovarian Cancer Australia because I know, you know, Every single woman I've met through my ovarian cancer work has now died, excluding one. So there's one young girl, Nicole Graney, who has survived like me that I met along that um, seven, eight year period. And the rest of them have passed, which is just a tragedy, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think about those incredible women I've met and their families and, you know, They're all someone's mum or someone's sister and this disease is so chronically underfunded, it's so unfair. I think they could have all survived if we had the investment in treatment options prior to now. 
Well, that's what uh, Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month is all about. We encourage you to head along to the website ovariancancer.net.au and donate or buy a teal ribbon. And just before we let you go, Annie, I loved reading about your job, which is for an amazing organisation called Year 13. Can you tell us about Uh, Year 13? Uh, year 13 is incredible. So basically, Year 13 is a um, digital um, tech ed tech company that was started by two young guys 10 years ago when they left school and felt really lost. And I think we can all identify with that feeling, let's face it, when you leave school. And um, one of their friends, unfortunately, really struggled with that period and took their own life. And the boys, um, Will and Sax, Will Stubbley and Saxon Phipps, just decided that they were going to do something about it. And they started a blog to support kids with all the different things you can do after school. And now, um, Year 13 has gone from strength to strength. It's got 50 people. We work with the government. We support young people with all the different things they can do after school, regardless of their ATAR. So, you know, very much communicating that there's a pathway and a, you know, positive future for everyone, regardless of skills and interests and education. You know, there's so much you can do um, to have a really successful, happy life. And, yeah, that's Year 13 in a nutshell. That's an incredible business. Yeah, what an important organisation. I can still remember leaving school and being like, oh, all right, I've had my (laughs) hand held for my entire life so far and now they're like, off you go, go well. (laughs) I know. And, you know, we do a lot of work around the life lessons that, you know, you don't learn at school. So, you know how to sort out your budget to buy your food instead of living on two-minute noodles, you know, like things <laughs> Absolutely. Like that. I do so, love that. Although, yeah, none of us would have got through uni without two-minute noodles. That's true. Exactly, yeah. but <laughs> there's so many things you're not taught at school, you know, finances and superannuation and, you know, setting up in a house, like working out of how to track your bills, things that you just don't learn through school so you know year 13 is a lifeline for young people and it's also really inclusive so it's a place where any young person can come and find something for them it's a really fabulous business i love it i'm i'm a bit sad that i'm too old for year 13 because i'm <laughs> i'm sure there are still skills that i haven't got a post school plan that marries your intrinsic values and the things you love with the options that are most likely to make you happy. And I did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did it my last year. Right. <laughs> I love right. it. Oh, Annie, it's gorgeous to speak with you again. Thank you so much for all the work that you do for Ovarian Cancer Australia. And we're so happy to see you so well and happy. Oh, anytime. Thanks so much for having me and for your commitment to supporting Ovarian Cancer Australia. We really do need your voices and it's we can't tell you how grateful we are. Thanks, Annie. Thanks, you Annie. take care. Bye, guys. Well, that's been Broad Radio for another week, Kirsty. It's been awesome to have you on the show right next to me. I know. I can't believe it. It's been the best. It's like humans actually connecting. (laughs) And I was just reminiscing about the fact that only last year I got to see your comedy festival show in April with our Broad Radio team. It was one of the best nights. And you're about to go touring again. I am. Yeah, I've got a brand new show, which I can't believe how that's happened. Mm. Uh, I felt like I was just in my apartment for the whole last 12 months, but um, it turns out I had a lot of uh, things happen to me that I can talk about again. In your apartment? (laughs) What's going on in your apartment? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. I know I've made it sound sus, but nothing's going on in my apartment, but just enough things happened over the last 12 months, which is wild to me. Um, that, yeah, I've managed to get together, scrape together another 60-minute show and I'm going to hit the road with it. How exciting. Um, Is it weird to be out with crowds and, you know? It is, yes. It still feels a little bit strange, but, um, you know, we're we're testing material at the comedy rooms in Melbourne at the moment Mm. and everyone's being very COVID safe. There's a lot of mask wearing going on. There's a lot of, like... HEPA filters in venues mm. and, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, so far I've been able to remain healthy. No, I'm glad. And, <laughs> yeah. I'm and glad. test out the new show. So it's yeah. win-win. I wonder if, does a comedy festival audience wear a mask the whole way? Um, I don't think they had to last year, but I suspect they will this year. Yeah, right. Because yeah. that's going to be like a muffled 
Is that a muffled sound to have your audience all behind masks? <laughs> it's, I, I couldn't even tell you. I mean, I'm kind of used to it now. Mm. So, I mean, I, I'm sure it was strange in the beginning, but now it's just... Don't we adapt quickly? Yes. Like, we just adapt yeah. so fast. Now I actually like... love the mask. Oh, yeah, me too. It makes me feel safe. <laughs> <laughs> I love wearing yeah. it. Yeah. And to, you know, call back on the madness around Grace Tame and whether or not she smiled for the Prime Minister, this is one of the things I loved about the mask is that I... For a whole two years now, I haven't had people tell me that I have resting bitch face because you can't see it. <laughs> I don't feel forced to have this, you know. I'm, I'm happy, and you know, when I'm just going to get my coffee. Do people tell you that regularly? I've, I've had a lot of people say, smile, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm just standing uh, here. It's just my face. Yeah, this is how I look. <laughs> this is how <laughs> I <Yeah>. look. So... <laughs> Yeah, Kirsty's been awesome. Uh, do check out uh, Kirsty when you're on the road. I hope we get you on face to face, maybe before you head out. When do you? When Absolutely, do you... Um, March eighth is my first date in Adelaide. Okay, amazing. Yeah. Oh, for the festival. Yes. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Awesome to have you as always, Kirsty. And Thank uh, you. we'll be back with Broad Radio next Tuesday. We'll see you then. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 